listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. Uh, The ushers are coming forward. If you do not have a Bible here this morning, would like to borrow a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to give a Bible to you as a gift. You can take one of these Bibles and and take that home with you. You can use it during the service, bring it back next week, encourage you to be bringing your Bibles as we we love to, to go through God's Word. We could read all kinds of other books and philosophies and that, but we want to go to the source. We want to go to the God Almighty of the universe and, and see what he has to say in our lives. And, and so Luke chapter 7, we'll be looking at that just a few, in a few moments as, um, as we continue on from kind of where we left off last week. This morning I want to start with a question. Have you ever had any doubts in your life? Definitely, right? I mean, we have all have had doubts from time to time. Even today, maybe you're walking through a, a season, a period of just doubting. And we can doubt all kinds of different things. I remember uh, when Charlotte and I moved from Saskatchewan to Alberta, we bought a house and we paid big money on that house. And I remember laying in bed on that first morning, waking up, hearing the sound of our fridge making this noise and just, you know, a good noise, just like, woo, this is our house. And there's this excitement and yet this fear and this doubt, did we do the right thing? After, we, after all, we paid $77,000 for that house. And we were thinking, will we ever be able to afford this? Did we do the right thing? You know, that was a lot of money, at least to us. And, and, and I remember that wave of doubt a little bit that, that was going through my mind. One relative said, oh, you should just rent in, in a trailer park in that town. And we're just so thankful for that decision we made. Um, how about when we make a decision? And then we, you know, maybe it's a decision to move or to change jobs or the decision on who to marry or who we shouldn't marry. And, and, and then you wonder, oh, did I make the right decision? And sometimes we can live with great regrets and, and as we go through the doubts that we face. How about in your faith? Have you ever experienced doubts? Have you ever doubted God? His existence? His ways? At times, I am sure that all of us, privately, to ourselves before God, or even to others around us, have have questioned, have doubted God, and have wondered, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in this situation? God, what are you doing in our world? Or what aren't you doing, and why not? And and we start to, to, at times, start to doubt God's goodness, God's power. We're in this series, Miracle and Meals, um, spending time in the Gospel of Luke, and, and we've looked at some of the meals that Jesus had where we see his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And then we've seen some of these miracles, and the Gospel of Luke is filled with many miracles of God's might and God's power. And so we know that God is all-powerful, and yet what happens when the miracle doesn't happen? When Almighty God doesn't seem to answer and doesn't seem to come through in the way that we had hoped or thought or have been praying. If you are a doubter, if you've experienced doubts, you're in good company. Even some of God's choicest servants, men and women used greatly by God, experienced huge, tremendous doubt in their life. And today we are going to look at someone who didn't see the miracle happen. 
someone who think that things did not work out for them as they had planned, prayed, or hoped for, or even believed in, 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 in totally believed what God could do, and yet God never came through. This is a choice servant of God. And where we left off last week in Luke chapter 7 is where we see this ministry of Jesus that is just, just like going like gangbusters. I mean, it is growing. The crowds are, are following Jesus and his disciples, and, and they're in a season of popularity, of expansion. There's miracles and crowds and teaching, and, and all of this is going on. And, and last week we looked at the widow's son who was raised from the dead. And not only did we see Jesus' victory and his power over, over death, his authority over death, but we, see, we saw his love and the compassion that he had for this dear woman, how Jesus pursues us. And he pursues us and he desires to, to do that work, to touch our lives, to, to allow us to know the gospel and to experience resurrection power in our lives. And, and so we looked at, at that miracle and, and, and in verse 16 and 17, you can follow along as I read it. It's kind of the last part of what we, we talked about last week in Luke chapter 7. It says, verse 16, fear seized them all. This was after the dead man had been raised. And they glorified God. A great prophet has arisen among us and, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And so we see that, that the news is spreading and, and all of this is going on. And, and, and some who were also getting the news, we see in, in, in verse 18, it says, The disciples of John reported all of these things to him. Now, of course, who they're referring to here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been faithfully blazing the way for Jesus. He was this radical preacher that I'm sure just his looks and, and the reputation and the stories that were spreading, also just even in themselves, garnered a, a bit of an audience, just some intrigue. He was this radical preacher that had been drawing crowds and, and they would gather and as they would gather together, he would call them to repent, to, to, to seek God for the forgiveness of their sins and, and, and he would call them to be baptized for the repentance of their sins. And, and you see, Part of the reason why, well, the reason why he's doing this is no king in these days just showed up, never just came to town unannounced. There were forerunners that would always come whenever a king was, was visiting a country or visiting a city or, or, or a certain region. And so John the Baptist was that forerunner for Jesus. The prophet Isaiah had even prophesied that there would be one who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah, that there would be the, the, the one who would make the announcement of the Messiah, and John the Baptist was this guy. He was the one that was announcing the coming of the kingdom, that the Messiah was coming, that a new era was coming. The one that they had been waiting for for centuries, was what, his, his entrance was near. Messiah was at hand. But you see, John the Baptist and Jesus, they go back a long way. I mean, they go back even to the womb. They had womb time, not together, but there was this weird experience that you read about in Luke chapter 1. There was this special connection. Yes, they were related through, through blood. They were cousins, first, second cousins. There's some question about that. But there was this connection that existed even before they were born. In Luke 1.41, we see that when John, John's mother Elizabeth was pregnant with him, her relative Mary came for a visit 
visit who was pregnant with Jesus at that time. And when Mary entered into the room, John the Baptist did one of the first Olympic exercises that, that we have recorded. Now, that's a slight exaggeration, but there was this somersault. There was this leaping in the womb of Elizabeth. When, when Mary walked in, who was pregnant with Jesus, there was this like major kick, more than just you know that little kick or that big kick that a kid can do in, in the womb. So I'm told, thankfully, I've never had to experience that. And, and yet, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's cool. But he does this, this very noticeable kind of leaping in the womb because even then, John the Baptist knew that there was something special about Jesus. Now, 30 years later, he, John the Baptist had, had been doing everything that was expected or asked or even prophesied about him, and he, he gave a full shovel. He did it well. He was a man who was committed to living a very simple life, very basic. He lived in the country. He ate locusts and honey, and his clothes were made of camel hair. And he was devoted, completely devoted to the things of God. I mean, making major sacrifices to do the work that God had called him to do. And he called people unapologetically to repent. And even in John chapter 1, John declared when he saw Jesus. He declared in front of the crowds, made that grand announcement, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew chapter 3, John the, baptized, uh, John the Baptist gets to baptize Jesus. And he says, I'm not worthy to do this. And and yet he's obedient to what Jesus tells him to do. And as he comes up out of the water, as John finishes baptizing Jesus, I mean, he gets to hear the audible voice of God. How cool is that? He gets to hear the audible voice of God, declaring, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. John heard the audible voice of God. He was faithful. He sacrificed you know, I don't know if, how many of you have been watching the Olympics or paying some attention to it. It's been pretty exciting, hasn't it? And, and to see Canada uh, do, do quite well. We've been getting a kick out of watching this young uh, De, Andre de Grasse and, and just all that he's doing, just knowing that a few years ago he, he was just running track in high school and, and wasn't even on the radar and seeing what, what he's doing. It gives us kind of like a good shot of adrenaline for, you know, I mean, the next three and, um, what, three and a half almost four years, we won't even care or worry too much about things, and also we'll get all amped up about this again, but, but, but giving Canada some great hope in athletics, and, and then Michael Phelps, I mean, amazing to see what he's doing, but then also Usain Bolt, I mean, that guy is amazing, I mean, he did the triple-triple, uh, you can go home and, and find out what that is, I mean, and, and commentators and reporters and analysts and all that, even himself, he's, he's concluded and declared himself to be the greatest ever. The greatest runner that has ever lived and, and these accomplishments that he's done truly are amazing and some believe no one will ever accomplish what he has accomplished. And, and so I kind of get a kick out of it that not only is, is the accolades coming from the outside and, and the declaration that he's the greatest runner even himself is like, yeah, I'm the greatest. I mean, no, just, yeah, no, yeah, uh, no problem with uh, humility there, I guess, right? You know, and, and so you see this and, and, and you think, okay, so, so these guys are, you know, what, declaring, you saying. Bolt is this amazing athletic runner. Well, back it up to 2,000 years ago here in Luke chapter 7, when it comes to John the Baptist, Jesus declared John the Baptist to be the greatest that had ever lived up until that time, the greatest to ever have been born of a woman. He declared John the Baptist the greatest. 
That means that he was greater than Abraham, Moses, Elijah. He was greater than all of those. And you see that just a little later on in this passage here in Luke chapter 7. Jesus makes that declaration. And when Jesus says that, that means something. When Jesus says this is the greatest man that has ever been born of women, that has been born up until this time, that is pretty amazing. So here we have John the Baptist. He did everything right. He served. He sacrificed. He gave so much for Jesus. He gave up so much for Jesus. He did everything he was supposed to do. And yet, where do we find John at this time in the story? Well, according to Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist is in Herod's dungeon. He's in prison, and his dungeon was not a beautiful place to be. And not only is he in a terrible place physically, we see that even in his mind, he's not in a good place. Things are not going well in his mind. He's been arrested and put into this dungeon for speaking the truth. He had the courage to confront King Herod about his marriage to Herodias. That's a beautiful name, isn't it? His one-time sister-in-law. So here he sees his, his brother's wife, thinks, oh, she's pretty hot. So then he takes her, I mean, Herodias' husband doesn't even die, or maybe he takes care of it, but he ends up taking Herodias as his wife, and John is like, time out, that's wrong, that's not right, what you've done is wrong, that is incorrect. He calls him on it, Herod doesn't like it, Herodias especially doesn't like it, and so they toss him into prison. And he's there in the dungeon. And they were calling for his life. They wanted him dead. Why? Because he was speaking the truth. And then, we, as you continue reading in, in Matthew, we see that there is this something weird thing going on with, with Herod and his new wife and his teenage daughter that's not Herod's. And, and he's kind of getting her to do this, not tap dancing, not ballet dancing. He's getting her to do a special dance. And I mean, this is just, I mean, has the makes for a very tra- trashy TV show. I mean, just, you know, at Cardassians, I mean, very similar to, to what you see going on here. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on. And John the Baptist stood up and said, what? is going on there is wrong and he ends up in prison and so here he's in the dungeon and not only as i said is he in the dungeon physically he's also in the dungeon in his mind he's starting to doubt he's starting to wonder and he's wondering okay is is jesus really the messiah if if he is who he says he is why isn't he helping me why isn't he rescuing me we see this condition that's going on and he's doubting One of the greatest crises that you and I will ever face in this world and as believers in Christ happens when we have certain expectations, understandings, thoughts of God, and he doesn't come through in the way that we have thought, prayed, or hoped. When God doesn't do what he so easily could do, or what's even more frustrating, more difficult at times to figure out, is when God does for other people, but doesn't do for us what we are hoping and wanting him to do. And it just seems, doesn't seem fair. Especially when we call ourselves believers in Christ. We're, we're desiring to live a faithful, obedient uh, life following Christ, and, and things don't turn out the way that we had hoped. When life finds us on a rough road, and takes us on some unexpected terms, um, turns, what do we do? We pray, we seek God, we try to do the right thing, and instead of things getting better, it actually gets worse. Or what ends up sometimes happening is it goes on and on, and there's no end in sight, there's no answers coming. 
and we just think, what's going on? We start to question. We start to even doubt God and, and, and start to say, God, what are you doing? Have you ever been there in your life? Have you been there where you've doubted, where, where you've been trying to do the right things and, and, and you're just beating yourself up against a wall? You're walking through hardships or trials and you say, what, what is this about? If you've been there as I've been there, this is where we can find help from the greatest man that had ever lived up until this time here in Luke chapter 7. When we are doubting the power of God in our lives, I mean, we're not doubting the power of God. We know that God could, could easily change the situation, but oftentimes we end up doubting the ways of God. And so let's read here in verse 18. We'll start at verse 18 of Luke 7. The disciples of John reported these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Like, are you the Messiah or not? John's wanting to know this because he's having some serious questions here. In that hour, he healed many people of their diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have, have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here's what John did with his doubts, and this is what we can do with our doubts. Very simple, very practical here. Encourage you to be writing these down because these are the things that, if, if, it was the great, if it's the things that the greatest man who ever lived up until this time did with his doubts, I think we can learn some lessons from him. And the first thing is we take our doubts to Jesus. We go to Jesus with our doubts. And that's what John did here. Now, he wasn't physically able to go to... Um, to, to Jesus because he was in Herod's dungeon, but he sent his disciples. Notice he, 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 he didn't just sit around and suffer in silence. He didn't stay there on his own. He, he didn't try to counsel himself or just kind of ignore it or just kind of take that stiff upper lip and say, I'll get through this, it's going to be fine. No, he, he, he wants to get to Jesus. He wants to get to Jesus and find out what Jesus has for him, what Jesus would say to him. He didn't just, just suffer in isolation. And that is one of the things, folks, that especially the enemy loves to do. He loves to isolate us with our fears, with our doubts, with our struggles. And we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to share it with other people because, after all, it might get gossiped around. Or, or, or we don't want to appear as weak. We don't want to, you know, just let people know. I mean, we have this certain image to uphold. But we all have levels of dysfunction in our lives. None of us have it all together. And we need to be humble people realizing that, that we need help and we just can't just take it and just like, I'm going to grin and bear this. I'm just going to you know, do more push-ups or I'm going to do this or that and we're going to get through this. No. He takes it to Jesus. John also doesn't take his doubt to others. He doesn't, you know what, he doesn't phone up the, the, the teachers of the law and say, hey, 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 teachers, well, they don't have phones back then, but, you know, like send a, a little scribe text of some sort, you know, and, and just say, hey, teachers of the law, I have a few questions about this Jesus guy. I know you guys are questioning, so am I. You know, he doesn't go to the teachers of the law. He doesn't go to other people. He goes to Jesus. He gets his 
takes his doubts to Jesus in the most direct way that he can. And he takes it there. He doesn't, you know what, start writing a blog. He doesn't, you know, put something on social media to try to garner some attention and, 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 and get counsel and, and that sort of thing. No, he takes it to Jesus. What do we do with our doubts? We get them to Jesus. Jesus can handle our doubts. He can handle it. What was it through the book of Job? Job asked, G- asked God at least 300 questions of God. Many of them are, what are you doing? What did I do to deserve this? Jesus can handle our questions. God the Father can handle our questions as well. Look at, look, look at through the Psalms. I mean, so many of them, we see David pouring his heart out to God. Where are you, God? What's going on? I don't like this. I don't get this. I don't understand this. But as you go through virtually every psalm that starts out with this lament and this cry and and bringing the doubts, bringing the fears, bringing it, we see that by the end it's worship. It's like I'm going to gaze upon you. I'm going to look upon you. I'm going to have a a change of mind here because I'm changing my focus. I'm getting to God with my doubts, with my fears. And that's what we are to do. We are to take our doubts to Jesus, pour our heart out to him. God does and he will answer. He'll answer one way or the other and All through it, if it's an answer that we don't particularly like or doesn't come the time that we want, he will give us the strength to get through it. He will. He's faithful. I just think of just even recently coming back from holidays, hearing about one of the worship leaders from Harvest, Jeff Kendrick, who came and and helped us on our launch Sunday less than two years ago, just in October. We'll celebrate our second anniversary as a church. He came out to help in in leading worship that first Sunday. His wife has has been struggling the last number, uh, the last year or so with cancer, and they thought that she was doing better. Now they recently find out, have just found out that it's back. Or even one of the elders from Harvest Oakville, our sending church, who uh, Chris Dias and, and his family this summer found out that their nine-year-old son, Aaron, has pre-leukemia and is going to have to go through a bone marrow transplant in the next um, six months or so of their lives are going to involve a lot of hospitals and a lot of doctors and, and some very trying circumstances for them. God will give his children. He will give us the grace. If God doesn't answer in the way that we hope and we're praying that God would deliver and bring healing, but we also know that God is so faithful that he will bring the grace and the strength for these families to not only just get through it, just not grit their teeth and get through it, but to, but to experience God's goodness and God's power and God's blessing in the midst of all of this. When we lived in Alberta, um, we were there for 13 years the picture on the left is this, uh, like it was just prairie area. It was like a lot of farmland just outside of Edmonton. But our town had this beautiful river valley, and you even see some of the trail of it. And, and for me, that became my place that oftentimes I found myself pouring my heart out to God. And just going for walks, going for jogs. Sometimes it was um, just walking on the ice. Um, other times it was walking along the trail and not trying to get bit to, by too many mosquitoes um, in, in that journey. But it became a place where I was able to really meet with the Lord and be able to just pour out my heart towards him. Taking things to Jesus. Taking those doubts, those concerns, those questions. And then, of course, uh, the other one here is, is in the Kelowna area, just up behind our house. Just, just, we, I call it the back 40. And, and for the last six years since moving there, uh, 
almost some of the first days that we moved there, I, I started exploring that area, and, and it's become a sanctuary, a place for me to go, and, and, and at times just, just pour my heart out to God. It was actually a little comical yesterday. I was riding my bike, and I'm worshiping. I have the earbuds in, and I, I thought I was going, you know, for a guy my age, I thought I was going pretty, you know, at fast, and I mean, it was really hot mid-afternoon. It was before the Rough Rider uh, game, and so I was out, you know, just getting the pre-game uh, bicycle, uh, bicycle, cycle in, you know, and all of a sudden these young bucks come up. It scared the living daylights out of me. I mean, I'm going along, and I'll, Whoa! you know, and I was singing, and so I'm sure that they had quite a story for their friends or for their parents. We found this old guy because to them I probably seemed old on the bike, and he was singing, and it sounded awful, and we scared the living daylights out of him. But that is a place where, for me. For me, I need physical kind of locations at times. I need to not just pour my heart out in the house or at the dining room table or in the living room, but to get out and to, to be at a place physically, just get out and get moving and, and be able to pour my heart out to God. And, and, and no matter how you do it, and, and, and some of it can involve journaling. Journaling is a great way to write it out. Write out what's going on in your heart. Writing it out, just the questions and, and, and writing down scriptures that you're being led to and directed to. And maybe it's a room in your house. Maybe it's a certain chair that, maybe it's a certain piece of the carpet where you get on your face before God and pour your heart out to Him. Or maybe it's in the bed in the middle of the night as you're pouring your heart out to God. Take your doubts to Jesus. He can handle it. And it's the one, He's the only one who can truly help out and truly bring hope, help, and healing in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing in life. So we take our doubts, we take that all to Jesus. So oftentimes we try to suppress it or we just kind of ignore it. We, and if we don't address them, if we don't deal with it and we just kind of park it somewhere and we fill our lives with other things, we get distracted, we get busy, we medicate, we, we buy stuff. We, it, but what ends up happening is, is if we go to all these other sort of ways to try to deal with our doubts or just ignore it or suppress it, is that it, it, those questions need to be answered. Something needs to, 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 we just can't leave those questions out there. And oftentimes if we don't deal with it, it will become greater questions that can lead to bitterness and resentment and it starts building building more and more in our lives. So we need to get it to Jesus. And just like John, he was helpless. He couldn't get to Jesus alone, so he relied on his disciples. And that, again, speaks to community. That speaks to the importance of having other people in our lives who love Jesus, who love the Word of God, that aren't just going to give you nice sympathy. Well, you want them to hopefully give you some sympathy, but more than that, you want them to give you the Word of God and to, to be able to pray with you and stand with you through whatever trial, through whatever doubt, whatever it is that you're facing, that you can be humble enough to go to others and to talk with them and have them pray with you. But you're also not just, you're also there for them when they're they're walking through their seasons and through their difficulties. That is what the body of Christ is about. That's why we is, exist as a church, to proclaim the truths of God's word and to allow it to transform our lives. But we need others because there's times where we're going to be too weak, we're going to be too full of doubts, we're going to be too hurting to be able to do it on our own. And to have others in our lives is vital. Who's in your life? Who can you, who's your go-to person? I'm thankful that over the years I've had my go-to people that sometimes now with modern technology, a quick text message, a quick phone call, doesn't matter where they live in Canada, you're able to call them. It doesn't cost you anything these days if you've got the right plan, you know, and, and, and people who can have a quick coffee with or a long coffee with, and, and not only are they listening, 
but they're directing me to the word of God. I'm thankful for, for men, for, for women in my life. I think of my mother as being one of those, those wonderful people who, and, and my father, just people who I can go to when, when, when I don't even know what to say, I don't even know what to do, that they help to get me to Jesus because that's where they will direct me. They'll direct me to the word through prayer, through, through scripture verses, and so many others in my life who have done that. So thankful. We can't do it alone. You see, John wasn't doubting the power of God. Remember that. He wasn't doubting the power of God, but he was doubting the ways of God, the wisdom of God. And that is something that we will oftentimes face in our own lives. Second of all, what are we to do with our doubts? Be prepared to wait. Notice for the disciples, this is kind of interesting as, as, as you read, read this here, that the disciples come, they have this question, hey, hey, Jesus, John's guys here, we're John's disciples, remember us? Yeah. We were with John, we've kind of had a few interactions. Uh, we have a bit of a question for you, John. John told us, you know what, here's the question from John. Are you the Messiah or should we be expecting another? You know, and, uh, and Jesus hears the question and then he just ignores them. He doesn't really ignore them, he just kind of turns and, 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 and what do we see Jesus doing? In that hour, he healed many people of their diseases and plagues and, and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So Jesus doesn't answer them right away. I mean, how many of us like being put on hold? We don't like it, do we? You know what, you, you, you phone, you know, you make a phone call for, you know, maybe it's for your TV, your internet, your cell provider, or whatever it is, and you go to make a phone call, and you, th you just expect in instant access, right? <laughs> well, you've come to probably expect that's not going to happen. You find out, okay, here I am on hold. You know, or you're in a hurry, and, and, and you know, you're, you're ready to, to, to ask whatever it is, and, and, and as soon as they pick up the phone, oh, can I put you on hold, please? Or, or even Friday night, Charlotte and I, kids weren't at home, we decided to go for a walk, and, 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 you know, it was start, time was running short. We got out a little uh, later than we thought. And we thought, let's stop at McDonald's. They have those, you know, great deals on, on drinks this, this summer. We'll, we'll drink and we'll walk um, and, and just go for this nice walk along the lake. And we stopped at this McDonald's and we had to wait a long time. You know, like I had important walking to do. You know, with my wife. Like we had this date and, and, and we had to wait and then they overcharged us and you don't overcharge my wife. And, and actually, I was the one that, she said, I'll just leave it. Because we, I mean, we were really, the girl was so cute. And I even said to Charlotte, she, I said, she looks she, more pretty than Cameron Diaz. And, and that, but, but, but she was slow, you know. And, and it was just like, come on, let's get moving. You know, we don't like to wait, do we? We don't like to wait for anything. Well, here's John's disciples coming, asking a question. And it's like they're being put on hold by Jesus. And so Jesus turns around and, and he starts healing people of diseases, wiping out a few plagues, it looks like. You know, like he's, I mean, I mean not just sicknesses, but plagues he, he's taking, taking care of. He's casting out demons. He's giving blind back their sight. I mean, all in a day's work for a Messiah. And they're sitting here wondering, well, what about me? What, what's going on? Like, Hello, we have a question from John. He's in prison. Hello? Isn't this kind of important? And we see this waiting. We don't like to wait. But Jesus doesn't answer. He starts healing. And, and, I mean, is he ignoring me? Is he out there? Is it like, hello, I'm praying. God, I'm asking you some questions. I've got some doubts. How come you're not coming through? How come, hello, are you there? We don't like to wait, but we need to be prepared to wait. Knowing that God will answer knowing he will answer one way or the other, and one of the beautiful ways that he will answer is with his grace and with his strength. 
to get through whatever that answer is. But you see, it's also in that time of waiting, we need to also be prepared for something else. We need to do something else. We must be ready to look at the big picture. First of all, realizing it's not all about us. While they ask their question, we see people are being healed. Yes, John was in the rotting dun- was, was rotting in the dungeon, but, but lives were being transformed. Jesus was doing the exact things that he said that he would do that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, things that even John was prophesying about Messiah. Jesus was doing it. People's lives were being changed. The truth was being proclaimed. The ancient prophecies were coming true. God is at work in the bigger picture. It wasn't just about John. It was something far greater than that. And folks, we also have to realize that God is at work even in the bigger picture of our lives. God's world just doesn't revolve around us. Although a lot of times we think it should, right? No, there's so much more going on in the bigger picture. We need to look at the bigger picture, I mean, one, one beautiful place to see this, I mean, easy place to see it, and maybe when we see this in, in God's word, we can then start to spot it in our own lives. You, you take Joseph in the book of Genesis, who, I mean, has, has a great future, I mean, is having some dreams, some, some incredible things are taking place there in his life, and next thing you know, he's being betrayed by his brother, sold as a slave, sent to a foreign country, falsely accused, ends up in prison. I mean, he was going through a pretty tough time, a pretty confusing, a time where he's kind of doubting, wondering, okay, God, what are you doing? You, you, you told me I had a hope and a future, and look at this. These are the prime time years of my life, and look at what's happening to me. And, and so we see this in, in the life of Joseph, but, but all along you start to see, because we get to look at the past, we see that something greater is happening outside of Joseph. God is saving his people, the Israelites, from the disaster that is taking taking place from, from the famine that is happening and is, is wiping out so many people in so many countries. And then finally, in Genesis 50, it kind of comes to this end statement, this great conclusion what, where, where Joseph said, what was meant for evil was meant, what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good, even the salvation of many souls. And in the same way, in the things that we're facing, as we continue, as we persevere, we don't quit, we don't give up. We see God's doing a work in the bigger picture. It'd be interesting for you to look back. This message this week has caused me to look back over my life, and, and I can count at least three seasons in my life. The first one starting when I was 13, and probably went every 10 to 12 years from that, where I have faced kind of some major issues, some major doubt, a major valley in my life that, that caused me to doubt not God's power, but his wisdom and his ways and leaving me very confused about God. And those were terrible, dark seasons. Terrible times. Confused over what was happening, what God was allowing to take place, knowing that he could change those circumstances just like that, and he never did. At least in the way that I had wanted him to. But boy, when I look back now at all three of those, and, and believe you me, since then there was a lot of, I mean, th- these were the major, the three major things. I mean, there, there's been a lot of other blips along that have also gone along. But in these major ones and even in the minor ones, I have seen the goodness of God. 
seeing that he's at work in the bigger picture of my life and, and in the people around me and that God is, is faithful and he is good. And, and in all three of those situations, I fall on my knees in thanksgiving to God and say, thank you for that. Where in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the struggle, I would have said, forget it. I mean, I was seriously doubting God's goodness. I was seriously doubting just his wisdom and his ways. But as we stay faithful, as we go to Jesus, we're prepared to wait. It's not going to come right away, oftentimes. And as we look, there's a bigger picture. God is on the move. He's wanting to do something in us and around us. God, you are good. God, you are faithful no matter what. So we go to Jesus, be prepared to wait, looking at the bigger picture, and finally, we see this, this is really important. How does he answer? How does Jesus answer John? With the word of God. He answers him with the word of God. He brings, we bring our doubts back to the Bible. We look at our doubts, we look at what we're going through, through the word of God. Look at what it says here in verses 22 and 23. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus was taking John's disciples and then back to John to the word of God. He's quoting from Isaiah 29, 35, and 61. Jesus uses the words of God to answer John's doubts, and he'll do the same for us. You can just imagine when those disciples would have been able to get back to John, and they would have quoted this to him. I just can't wait to get to heaven and see his response. It was no doubt. Yeah, yeah. He needed to be reminded of that. Because in his mind, he's going through all of the things that he knew to be true about the word of God. And the word of God was happening. It was being lived out that God was being faithful. Even in the midst of this trial and even in the midst of his doubts. He saw the bigger picture. But he sees the word of God come alive. You see, folks, we can't base our faith on our circumstances. If we do, our circumstances will change every day, and so your faith is going to be all over the place. But we can build our lives. We can build our faith. We can build our families. We can build our future on the mighty, inerrant, unchanging, eternal word of God. We can. He's trustworthy. His word is true. And, and, and this was actually to... to from Jesus to the disciples and then to John, this was actually a bit of a rebuke. It's gentle, but it was a rebuke nonetheless. He's saying, John, I may not be meeting your expectations, but I am fulfilling the word of God. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's word reminds us. It, it teaches us at times, but at times it rebukes us and it corrects us. It shocks us and we need to have that. And so oftentimes it allows us to get our eyes off of us and get on the word of God and see that he is faithful and that these things that are happening in our lives are at times, they're promised. 
Jesus said, in this world you will have trials, you will have tribulations. But he says, but take heart, I've overcome it. So cling to the word of God. We can come to rest in the truth from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens, for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts, knowing that he is God and we are not. It allows us to let go of that poor me perspective and to get our minds and our thinking on God's perspective. And then we look at what Jesus says to John. I mean, this just shows again, folks, the heart of love and compassion for Jesus. Just the way that he pursued that widow in the last um, passage that we looked at. Here we see this heart of love to Jesus or, or to John. It is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. It's another beatitude. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed are those who don't stumble or don't quit, don't give up based on what I'm doing or allowing. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you if you don't, if you don't pack it in because it's tough. Blessed are you if you don't fall away because you're, disappointment, you're disappointed with the way that I choose to work, God says. Blessed are those who are not tripped up, don't stumble when your prayers aren't answered in the way that you had hoped. John, there's such a bigger picture here, Jesus is telling him. It's hard to understand, but you trust the word. Go to the word of God. This is why it's so important that we be people of the word, that we're reading it, that we're, we're, we're in the word, we're in an abiding relationship with Christ every day through the word of God. It will be what will sustain you. You look at, you hear these athletes, oftentimes during the Olympics, they're talking about their training and what they're doing the day of. They're getting their rest, they're eating, they're doing all of these things to make sure their bodies are primed. How about we make sure our bodies are primed for whatever it is that we're going to face because day, day in, day out, we're running the race of our lives. And the way that we are established, the way that we are strengthened, the way that we will have the endurance to go on is through the word of God. And so in that is why we, we go back to the Bible. We continue to be people of the word. For John, there would be no cool dungeon late night rescue by an angel. There was for Peter and for Paul and for Silas, but not for John. For John the Baptist, there wouldn't be this nice little retirement for him in a beach house, you know, by the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, he wasn't going to be able to live out that dream of marketing wild honey and, and, and uh, honey-dipped locusts, like no doubt he was maybe thinking about. No, for John, it would end with his head on a platter being celebrated that he had died. But John took heart. He remained faithful to the end. And you can guarantee for all time and eternity, there are no regrets with John the Baptist. This summer, I've been reading a book on the Reformation as we come up to the 500th anniversary of that in 2017. And, and you read about the great reformers of John Huss, John Wycliffe, and Martin Luther, amongst others, who were willing to take a stand for Christ who lived their lives in, on the run because of the stand that they would take for the truth of the gospel in exposing the lies and the heresy that was taking place. How they were willing to face these, these threats and, and even for some being burnt at the stake and suffering martyrdom in, in uh, various ways. 
They are living now. They didn't live their best life now here on this earth, but you can guarantee they're living their best life now in eternity, for all of eternity. God knows what he is doing in, his, in time. His word and time will reveal it. Truth and time. The truth of God's word and time go hand in hand. But you know, folks, as we bring this message to a close, I, I know that this message doesn't really go too well with our North American uh, Christianity. It doesn't really seem to, it, it kind of flies in the face of that because so oftentimes and so sadly in one degree or another, we've all believed it, myself included, we, kinda, we think that if we give our life to Jesus, he's a pretty, pretty fortunate to have us. Um, I mean, you'd, you'd never say that, but oftentimes we think that and, and we think if I just try my best and I live the Christian life and I study, you know, spend some time growing and studying the word of God and if I serve and if I go to church and if I give and do all these right things that that will just, cha-ching, automatically kind of translate in, 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 in having good bank accounts that are full and, and good health and, and, and a great marriage and parenting will just be simple and a breeze and your relationships will go awesome, you know, all through life. I mean, oftentimes, we wouldn't verbalize it, but oftentimes we think it. It's almost like, God, you kind of owe me here. Like, look at, what I, look at who I am. Look at what I've done for you. And I like the way one of the pastors that I enjoy reading and listening to, Matt Chandler, puts it. He says, if you are following Jesus so you can get a better marriage, a healthier life, success in your career, or just fill in the blank with whatever it is, if that is your end game, you are an idolater. Because you are not seeking God, but you are seeking but what you think or hope God can get you. That is what you're seeking. Because you are not seeking God, First and foremost, you fall into idolatry. We have this idea that God is most glorified when we're rich, when we're healthy, but that's not the gospel. That's the religion of cars and houses and materialism and health. Folks, God is most glorified when everything even goes wrong in our lives and he is still enough and we continue to worship Not easily. That's where we need others. That's where we need time. That's where we need to have others walking with us and and we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. But over the years, I've watched professing Christians who've looked and sounded the part walk away. I've watched many walk away, falling away in doubt and, 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 and just disillusionment because God didn't come through for them in the way that they thought. And many of those doubts start to sneak, sneak into our lives with unmet expectations. That God didn't perform the miracle that we were praying for, that we were fasting about even, and others were praying for. We've been praying and, and others have been joining with us about a certain circumstance and, and nothing changes. In fact, it got worse. Or the prosperity you thought you'd enjoy never happened. Or maybe it's because marriage has been a lot more difficult than you ever thought, or a family situation, a difficult work environment, or an illness, or for the single person who, who longs to be married and become disillusioned and doubt, okay, God, you're all powerful, you could bring that right person in my life, and yet you haven't. Or we work hard for financial, for financial gain and to, to take care of ourselves, and, and yet we don't get ahead like other people, and you watch others succeed, or Or you took a stand, you took a stand for the right thing at work or at school or with your family and 
And you've been betrayed, you've been sidelined, and, and you just rejected and ridiculed because of that. And you think, God, I was doing this for you, and, and this is what I get in return? This can happen within ministry. This can happen within the church. I hear this over and over again. I heard it yesterday from a phone call I had with someone. They said, I haven't left my faith, but I've left the church. That's serious. The two go hand in hand. God's word reminds us that we need others. We need the church, the body of Christ in our lives. I'm not saying that when tragedy comes or we have unmet expectations, we just simply go, God is great. Praise him anyways. You know, and, and put that smile on our face. Not at all. We cry out to God. We pour our heart out to him. We bring our questions to him. And in the deepest pain and with cries and with tears and with a cry of our heart, we end up landing on the truth and the reality that God is faithful, God is good, and he is with us. It's in these doubts, it's in these trials and these hardships, like John, we go to Jesus. And we can be fully confident that God is good. He is faithful. And through joy and through sorrow, God will accomplish his good pleasure, his will, that results in our joy, in our thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize that this is a tough thing because we've all been there at one time or another. Maybe we're even there right now in our own lives. We, we're not doubting your power, but we're doubting your ways and and the things that have happened in our lives. and God, I pray that whatever it is that we're even facing here today as individuals, and whether it's in a work situation, family, marriage, health, finances, that you, above all things, would be our number one focus. That we would be seeking you in all of this. And we've seen just this simple reminder of how John got the answer that he needed. And God, I pray for each person here who, as we take these steps, that we would see the blessing that you bestow upon each one. And these words that you gave to John is, blessed is he who does not get offended by my ways. God, I pray that we would, first of all, surrender ourselves to you. Surrender whatever it is that we're facing. So oftentimes, even as we sing this song, I surrender all. We're actually singing, I surrender almost everything. But even our doubts, may we surrender that to you. May we bring it to you even now in our hearts and our prayers that we are directing towards you. I'm just going to ask to have this song, just the first and the last verse, just sung over us. Even right now, just stay in your seats. May this be a time of worship. May even be looking at your, li your life here today and it's going to start with this call. i got to get to Jesus. Start pouring your heart out to him about whatever it is. Afterwards, you may need someone to talk to. Love to do that with you and for you to pray with you. Need to get into the word of God and be directed in that. And we'd love to wait along with you as you're seeking God in whatever it is that you're facing here today. But may it start in the first step, saying, okay, God, I surrender to your ways, surrender to your will.